All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege of gathering together in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, what a, an evening this is to be able to fellowship as family in the unity that you've provided for each one of us. Thank you for giving us truth that really does set us free, truth that is meant to sanctify us in time. Father, thank you for giving the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy, and such. Fruit of the Spirit, even, so that we might bring glory to you, be lights on a hill in a perverse generation such as ours. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening, and we pray mostly for those that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> Again, part 21 of Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. On Tuesday, we began with a basic question, but it's a good question. And if, you, if you've been following along, you know that the Spirit's been hinting on closing up shop here on this now 21-part series. Uh, how are we sanctified? That's what came up on Tuesday evening to kick things off. How are we sanctified? This has been a major theme in our studies because it demands that we examine Holy Scripture very closely. It demands, if you ask that question, it's a fair question. How are we sanctified? Um, and if it's a major theme, it demands that we examine Holy Scripture very closely. I was thinking about this. Most, I think most Christians, quote-unquote, make gross estimations about how God goes about sanctifying them. I mean, what's left in many cases if you don't have and if you haven't examined Holy Scripture closely like we have been, what's left? Well, you start making gross estimations about what God does and how we are sanctified. And probably the most common uh, in these gross estimations, at least in our area, is the religious estimation of sanctification. The religious one. And just as a side note, most self-professing Christians I know don't even know what sanctification is. They don't even know what that word is. They say, well, I don't even... That's, they have an idea of some, or some notion of spiritual maturity, maturing spiritually over time. That's there. But the issue is only complicated by the fact that they don't even know the word in many cases. The word sanctification appears in the Bible a multitude of times. So they don't have a prayer. I mean, the question of how are we sanctified, they, a lot of Christians don't even get by the word sanctification. What does that even mean in the first place? What's the definition of sanctified? So for the rest of us with a Berean heart for truth, again, the question on the table is how are we sanctified? Again, the only place we ought to be looking is in the Bible. If you want to know that, the answer to that question, the only place 
you ought to look is the Bible. No gross estimations about any of it. So do not, I repeat, do not make the mistake of going elsewhere. Or even worse, to make stuff up that appeases your human sensibilities. Because that's what most Christians I know do. They make stuff up in the absence of truth because they don't... I can't pick up my Bible. Posing thumbs, right? They don't read their Bible. So they don't know the answer to that question. They don't even know what sanctified is. Don't make that mistake. Don't make up definitions or answers to this question to appease human sensibilities. Remember, human sensibilities never match God's. Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are not your ways, he says. And he's talking about human sensibilities. What this means then in the context of the question on the board is simple up here on the board. <coughs> on sanctification, never ever speculate about how God sanctifies his own. Never speculate. The definition for and the mechanics behind sanctification aren't felt into place or arrived at through philosophical debate. They are given in one place, the Word of God. Thank God for that. Amen? Thank God that we can answer that question because otherwise we'd be relegated to the rest of Christendom, which is, let's just sit around over a beer, around a campfire, let's sing a few hymns, and let's talk about who God is to us like existentialism. Let's talk about uh, what we think God is. And let's talk about how His love flows this way and that way, and there's no Word of God anywhere in sight. Do you realize that's the common practice nowadays, even from pulpits? It's all kumbaya and watered-down gospels and everything else. That came out on Tuesday as well. Go to 2 Timothy 3.13. 2 Timothy 3.13. It's just so easy to speculate based on human sensibilities. 2 Timothy 3.13. So don't ever do this thing. 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Oh, yeah. Take your pick. A lot of these TV evangelists and these global pastors that sell books all left and right, which is complete garbage, they're the worst imposters of all. They're the most well-known, but they're actually the worst. What about the guy that drives around in a bulletproof Jeep with the tall hat? That guy. He's about as evil as they come. But yet, the average person that's not in Christendom looks at that person, wrongly, as the leader of Christianity. And he's literally probably the most evil icon 
of all religion. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom. You see? Wisdom in the writings. You're reading sacred writings right now. That from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, not all philosophical debate, to play off the point on the board, not all pontificating morons calling themselves Christians, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Again, up here on the board, the point is on sanctification. Never, ever speculate. Never, ever speculate about how God sanctifies His own. You have it right there in Scripture. Scripture saying, look to Scripture. Scripture itself is saying, look to me. If you want answers, come to me. That's what we just read. Nowhere else. Don't go anywhere else. Come to me. Never ever speculate about how God sanctifies his own. The definition for and the mechanics behind sanctification aren't felt into... I'm so... I get so angry. I'm so tired of listening to people how they feel about God. Or how they feel about Jesus Christ. I don't want to hear about how you feel anymore. What does it say in Holy Scripture? Because Holy Scripture says, come to me. Sanctification aren't felt into place or arrived at through philosophical debate. They are given in one place, the Word of God. Second Timothy 3, 13-17, as we just read. Some might argue... But what about all the Spirit's been saying about, you know, experiencing sanctification? He's been saying a lot about that. In living the gospel reality, he's been saying a lot about that as well. What about all those things? Fair question. Those things are absolutely part of sanctification. But you ready? They are results. Not causes. They are results. Up here on the board, sanctification, results versus causes. We must learn to differentiate between results described in the Bible and their causes. For example, a result is peace, where the cause is righteousness. The result is peace, where the cause is righteousness, Allah, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, as we Learned in great detail, not that long ago, Hebrews 12, 11. So we've got to learn to di- differentiate between results described in the Bible and their causes. If we get these two things backwards, we suffer horrifically. That's the point. We suffer. If we get these things backwards, we suffer horrifically. We suffer because 
if results get swapped with causes and vice versa, we end up on a treadmill that exhausts us into failure. Go to Isaiah 5.20. Isaiah 5.20. I'm not saying, this is the word of God. Remember, come to me. You want to understand what sanctification looks like? Read my pages. Not the pages of some guy. Remember, we, remember not that long ago I went into, um, you know, how do we look at books and commentaries and devotionals and all that stuff? Remember all that? That was this, again, saying, no, 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 you come to the Word first. So-and-so might have a good thing to say here and there, but the foundation is the Word. And I personally believe that there are way too many people, their foundation is some other book, some derivative of the Word, someone's opinion, someone's commentary, someone's devotional and they don't read their Bible. And they're backing into truth at best. They're starting and they're too, most of the people that do that, let's face it, they're probably a little lazy. So they'd rather read that and get their emotions stirred up. And they never actually get to the truth, so they have to depend on someone else's interpretation or someone else's word for it. And God the Holy Spirit never says He's going to work with someone else's word for it. He says, I can work with the word. So get that word into your soul so I have something to work with. Right? It doesn't say I'm going to bring into remembrance so-and-so's devotional. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What's the first word in that verse? Woe. Woe to those who do that stuff who flip it, who turn things around. Go to Matthew 6.22. Matthew 6.22. See, a lot of people will say, oh, it's good to feel my way to God. No, it's not. God wants you to know Him. He wants to save you and you to come to the knowledge of Him. That's what Scripture says. Never says he wants you to feel your way to him emotionally. He says after you get to know him, you may have emotions. That's cool. But he doesn't say you get to know him through your emotions. You know him this way by reading the word of God. Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How great is the darkness when you think you're in the light? What a horrible, horrible tragedy. But I personally believe, and you can agree to disagree, that's the average Christian, so-called Christian. <coughs> they're in the darkness and they think they're in the light. They think they can feel their way to God without ever actually picking up their Bible. They just take the word of someone else. Remember, we, uh, we, uh, both Scott and I quoted Tozer this past week. They just take the word of these teachers, and some of them, like we just read, are bad. And they're getting worse. Again, up here on the board, sanctification results versus causes. We must learn to differentiate between results described in the Bible in their causes. For example, a result is peace where the cause is righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness is what Holy Scripture calls it. Hebrews 12, 11. 
Until a person gets this straight in their soul, they will suffer. Until a person gets this straight in their soul, they will suffer. You have to understand the difference between causes and results. Not, you don't turn them around. So until a person gets this straight in their soul, they're going to suffer, even as a born-again believer. This is why we learn the Word of God. This is why we're all here this evening, learning the Word of God, so that we can get it straight. Because we come to the table bass ackwards. Isn't that what Isaiah 55, 8 says? Your ways are not my ways. I've got to tell you my ways. Right here, I'm going to tell you my ways. But you don't show up to the table knowing this stuff. You show up with your own sensibilities, and they're literally the opposite. You know what you know, right? You come as a babe, as an infant. I have to teach you how to walk. I have to teach you how to eat. I have to teach you how to digest. I have to teach you how to run. I have to teach you how to grow up. I have to teach you all these things. Heck, even Jesus went through that. Grew up in knowledge. Even Jesus learned. You know what he learned? This is funny. I don't usually pick it up that much. He learned this. That's right. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You've gotten wisdom from sacred scripture. That model hasn't changed. But yet, oh man, if, you've, if you look at Christendom, it has. It's, you know, a bunch of hoopla. But again, if someone, until someone gets that straight, you'll suffer. Even as a born-again believer, this is why we learn the Word of God. It's so that we don't get stuck in our old ways, but rather are delivered and sanctified. Think about this. I mean, we are now on part 21 of undistracted devotion to the Lord. I want to put this into perspective now. The last couple of messages have focused our attention on being saved and sanctified daily. For a reason, to build up undistracted devotion. Why would you be devoted to him in the first place? Well, you have to remember, if it's some ancient forensic fact about your life, you know, distant things tend to get stale, right? But what about the simple fact that Scripture tells us that we're saved and sanctified daily, that it's an effort on the holy God of the universe even, that he puts forth for you, to your benefit? Now you realize that gratitude is right upon you, that the reason, the cause for gratitude is daily, moment by moment even, because he keeps you saved, because you can't save yourself. You don't have a little contract that you can wave at the pearly gates and say, you see this contract right? It was signed 30 years ago. God says, no, I'm, you don't play that game with me. I keep you saved because I want to keep you saved because that's my desire. And that's where we derive our gratitude and that leads us to undistracted devotion. So that's where this has been going. So the last couple of messages have focused our attention on being saved and sanctified daily. And it's from within this ongoing perspective that we derive a certain sense of daily gratitude. This is why Paul wrote, go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. This is why Paul wrote this thing. I mean, if you're saved daily, if you're convinced of that from Holy Scripture, then you realize and you should be, or you should realize by now that you have something to be grateful for daily. 
It's not a what have you done for me lately. It's you do this for me all the time. You save me all the time. You sanctify me day by day. Yes. Well, then guess what? 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Why? You have something to rejoice over. Because what if God didn't do that stuff? What if he didn't do those things? What if he didn't uphold your saving faith? What if you were able to be lost? And Jesus' words, I lost not one, went poof in the air. What if those things weren't true? What if you were afraid of that ever happening? You might not be rejoicing. You'd probably be scared, rightfully so, that you'd be getting what you deserved. See, that's the beauty of grace. You don't get what you deserve. This is the unmerited favor of God on you. You didn't earn this grace. Do we forget that? You didn't earn that coffee. Look around. No offense, guys, but, you know, everybody spent a dollar at Cumbies in the next row. I don't know what you guys spend it on. Lowest, probably tea or something. You know, everybody's got their little thing. Do we come that familiar? Even with the little things? Seriously, you can enjoy those drinks and sit here this evening in a certain level of comfort and peace knowing that you're saved and that God's never going to let you go. How about that for a fact? Have you become so familiar? Have you been too, too, um, too much of a biatch lately? No, I'm being serious. I hate to use you know, almost swear words, but you know what I'm saying? Are you sitting here you know, complaining and murmuring about everything? complain about what your high school sweetheart doesn't love you anymore what you, you can't you can't afford your smokes anymore what what are you complaining about those are the things and it's ridiculous he saves you daily get perspective your life you're a peon some be like but i have a good job big deal you're a peon trust me been there done that well i have a good family you're a peon you're a nothing, a nobody without Christ. Nothing without Christ. Do we forget those things? Have we arrived? Have we forgotten where we came from? Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a warning that Paul wrote about? Have we forgotten? Are we going to perfect ourselves now in the flesh? I got it, God. I'm good. 30 years ago, got my contract right here. Saved. I never knew you, if that's your attitude. I don't keep people like that around. People that are mine know I'm their father. I'm going to let them know that I keep them saved, just like what's happening right now. Who do you think ordained this lesson? The same one who keeps you saved, the same one who inspired that, because all Scripture is inspired. God breathed, says the original language. God breathed. What does God breathe? It says 1 Thessalonians 5.16. What? Two words. Rejoice always. Two in the English anyways. Rejoice always. What's the next verse say? Pray without ceasing. How's your prayer life? Do you ever go to God just to thank Him? You always go, all right, thank you God for so much. Can I just ask for this one thing? Do you ever just thank Him? Some of you are like, I don't even go to Him. Do you ever just thank Him? Because look at the next verse, in verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Everything. We get so 
stinking familiar. We're so familiar. And everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants you to do that thing. He wants you to live a life of gratitude. Why? Because that's where the blessings are. He's not some greedy God that says, hey, hey, you don't pay attention to me. Give me thanks. It's about me. He's saying, no, I want you to give thanks for everything because I know how good that is for you. I know how plentiful, how bountiful your life will be if you live a life of gratitude. Hmm. Perspective is everything. It provides us with a reason to be grateful for all that He has done for us. And you know what? As I just said, this is His divine will. Up here on the board, and I'm trying to tie this back to our lesson titles. Gratitude that leads to devotion. God doesn't just want you to be grateful. He wants to remind you by grace exactly why you have so much to be grateful for. Starting with the fact that we are saved and sanctified daily. Daily. Look at verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Okay. Who's filling this vessel right now to speak these things to you? God the Holy Spirit. He's talking to you through this vessel, right? Don't quench Him. Prophetic utterances just means teaching, by the way. There's prophecy, of course, but teaching is in view as well. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Do not despise what comes from the pulpit. Certainly do not despise these prophetic utterances. Listen to what the Spirit's saying to you. Nothing's come from this pulpit so far that isn't actually in the Word of God. I'm just a waiter. Here you go. Here's a nice meal for you. Don't quench the Spirit. Listen to him. Do not despise prophetic utterances, verse 21, but examine everything carefully. Well, that actually takes a little work, doesn't it? You bet. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Hmm. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Again, up here on the board, gratitude that leads to devotion. God doesn't just want you to be grateful. He wants to remind you by grace exactly why you have so much to be grateful for. Starting with the fact that we are saved and sanctified daily. Do you care? Some of you, I'm looking at your faces, some of you don't look like you give a crap right now. Some of you look like you're somewhere else right now, and it's really sad. It's really, really sad. And it's an indictment on you, frankly. And if you just got bagged by God the Holy Spirit, good. Take it. Take it on the chin. Put that audacity of yours away, along with all the arrogance that's sparking up in your soul right now. How dare that bald guy talk this way? Too bad. Wake up. 
God doesn't just want you to be grateful. He wants to remind you by grace exactly why you have so much to be grateful for. Starting with the fact that we are saved and sanctified daily. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 22, we just read. Now, God may remind you every single day of your life. But as I just alluded to two seconds ago, you must possess one particular thing to enjoy the results even of gratitude. Any takers, you should know this by now, you've got to possess humility. That's it. I love the way that Scott stated it on Tuesday up here on the board. Within thankfulness is humility. Love it. Within thankfulness itself is a little thing called humility. Because if you're arrogant, you're not grateful for anything. Except yourself, maybe. Within thankfulness is humility. Think about that. He went on to say that living in a lifestyle of thanksgiving is clearly a big part of sanctification and its resultant fruit is peace. I really enjoyed these statements because they pulled together so much of what the Spirit's been pointing out in our series. So much depends on humility and in particular that little cousin of humility, obedience. For both of these things spring from the same root system. God places in us a thirst for truth when He saves us. It's one of the hallmarks of a true believer in Christ. It's one of the hallmarks of a true believer in Christ. Learning in humility is part of sanctification after salvation. I also like the way the Spirit described it through Scott on Tuesday up here on the board. Sanctification is our salvation alive and active. Yeah, you've been saved. Isn't that awesome? How about living in that salvation? Like we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. Being grateful, rejoicing, giving thanks, for that's God's will. And don't quench the Spirit when He convicts you like He might be doing right now. Sanctification is our salvation, alive and active. Our salvation shines out of darkness, showing us the way from our previous lives. For there's real momentum. This is a balanced statement. There is real momentum that we must contend with, even after we are born again. I mean, who wants to suggest that the day that they were born again was the day that they had all the light and all knowledge and were completely sanctified? No, we were born and then we're stuck in the mire, so to speak. Yeah, we're saved. Our heart has changed. We're made new. We're a new creature. But our life, we wake up the next morning and you know who's still there? Our family, our friends, our job, our, our life. It's still around us. We're like in the middle of it, right? Ratchet it in. And if you've been at that for decades, it's quite the extraction process. So there's a real momentum but if you only think that God says I'll save you and I'll check you out in heaven 70 years later or whatever you're missing the boat you're missing the activity of sanctification Job 29 2-3 Colossians 1 13 John 1 4-5 2 Corinthians 4 5-7 let's look at these passages now go to Job 29 verse 2 
Don't believe me? We'll do just like the Spirit started this evening. Go to Scripture. Don't ever, ever make that mistake of speculating. Don't make gross estimations about how God goes about sanctifying you. The Word itself says, come to me. You want to understand the intricate details of how I'm going to save and sanctify you daily? If those are the claims, come to me. So we've established the claims, and now the Spirit's saying, how does this work? Come to me. Examine everything closely. We just read that. Job 29, verse 2. Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me. Remember, he's lamenting at this point. But there's still truth in what he says. When his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. By his light we exit the momentum we have in darkness, our previous lives, all the baggage that comes with being an unbeliever, having lived in the world. Those things, we don't jettison those things right away. There's a stickiness to our lives. God knows that, and that's why he sanctifies us. How about go to Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13. Job understood that. Colossians 1.13. I mean, we live in a world of darkness. The God of this world is the prince of darkness. Colossians 1.13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I don't know about you, but I want to enjoy that. I don't want to think about my rescue being some antiquated fact about my life or some artifact, some forensic detail of my life decades ago. I don't want to think about it that way. I want to know that he's, he's with me right now, that this process is happening. How about go to John 1.1? 1, 1. John 1.1, 1, 1. I want to live that reality. And you know who put that thirst there? He did. That's how I know I'm saved. Because he put that thirst there. That's all I want to know. I screw up every day. I screw up. It's unbelievable. I go like backstroking in darkness. Right? Just between my two ears even. I'm like, what are you doing? Why, is your, why are you going there? Because there's a stickiness there. Why do you think? And when we're in the, we're not of it, but we're in this world and we're assaulted every day. And I feel bad for you guys, right? For the most part, I live in a cave. Not specifically, but you know what I mean. You all go out and you go out either work or, you know, whatever, school, whatever you're doing outside the house. And you're assaulted in ways that I'm not assaulted. And it's horrible. And, you know, God forbid you have a, a TV. We won't go there, but John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness. Go to 2 Corinthians 4, 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Thank God that light shines in darkness. Thank God we have access to that light. 
Thank God that light leads us out of darkness. That's what sanctification looks like. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Experientially, we're stuck in the beginning. Even though positionally, we've been sanctified. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you see that? The one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, the light of the knowledge, learning the word of God, taking in the word of God is what sanctifies you, gives you proper perspective, gives you godly wisdom. That's what removes you. That's what sanctifies you experientially from your old life. Some of you are like, yeah, I still have vestiges of that old life. Hey, join the crowd. He's sanctifying you from that right now. Think about that. Think about your own life for two seconds right now, five years ago, if you've been saved for five years or more, or however long it's been. Are you still the same person? Has he not made certain changes in your life? Since even five years ago? Some of you are like, yeah, as soon as I got the gospel reload, a lot of things changed in my life. Well, that's what we call sanctification. Sometimes you have to step back and go, well, there I was five years ago. Here I am today. Seems to me he's he's done an awful lot of work so far. Knowledge. Right here. This is it. No gross estimations about how he sanctifies us. No pontificating or philosophical debates about other people that don't read their Bibles. This is where it's at. So says it. You want to understand these truths? Come to me. So says me, the word. Self-authenticating, right? Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of power will be from God and not from ourselves. All he's saying is, don't think it's me. I don't want you to make that mistake. Just like Tozer said, just like Scott was highlighted, just like I highlighted. Don't make that mistake. Don't put your faith in a man. Don't do that to me. I just My job is just keep reminding you. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. That's my job. I'll give you some perspective. I'll do everything I can to get you back to that one fundamental truth. Just keep on learning. Building in knowledge. Growing in knowledge. If you know anything about Scripture, that's how it's described for Jesus. Growing in knowledge. What's the first part of wisdom? Get wisdom. Acquire wisdom. Remember that verse? In in, uh, Psalms? I think it was. Proverbs. First part of wisdom. Get wisdom. That's your thirst. Again, the point of the board. Sanctification is our salvation alive and active. Our salvation shines out of darkness, showing us the way from our previous lives, for there is real momentum that we must contend with, even after we are born again. I just gave you a bunch of Scripture. I mean, that's just a sampling of Holy Scripture that speaks to that very thing. All the saints we read about, in Holy Scripture, understood this at some level. 
that God leads us away from darkness to the light. Again, all of this is to continue giving us perspective, that precious thing that delivers us, a.k.a. saves, sanctifies. That's all deliverance. Deliverance, saves, sanctifies. At, at some level of theology, they're interchangeable. Deliverance, salvation, sanctification, at one level, they're interchangeable. And it, it's often used that way in Scripture. So this is to continue to give us perspective, that thing that delivers us from the details of life that just love to drag us down. I mean, don't you just get angry sometimes? Don't, am I the only bitter? No, don't you just get angry at, like, sometimes your life? Like, don't you turn around and say, man, that day sucked. And you look at it and you say, how did I get sucked into that pit again? And you look and say, it's my life. My whole life is organized around that pit. You know, and, and instead of running away from it, perpendicular away from it, I run around it. And all it takes is one little trip up to fall back in. God's like saying, don't run around it, run away from it. Run away from it. Too many of us run around it, right? Well, at least I'm not in the pit. Yeah, but you're like this close to the edge all day long. So we, we have these details of life, these that we just have all that momentum, even when we're saved, proper, right? Born again. We're in the midst of all that. And he says, I have to sanctify you from that. You're not going to fulfill any of my purposes. That's what it means to be sanctified, made holy. My purposes. You're not going to fulfill any of my purposes. Running around the pit and falling in and getting out and falling and getting, running around the pit every day and becoming frustrated. I need you to jettison that life. I need you to get away from that thing. All those habits, you know, some of you think about it right now. You know those little habits you keep like skeletons in the closets? You know those ones? Get rid of them. You got to get rid of them. All those little ones that nobody else knows about except God because God's always watching. Oh, and the angels, by the way. All those little secrets that you have, get rid of them. It's not how impressed your neighbors are or even your loved ones. It's God's opinion of you that matters. So that's what he's saying. He's like, I want to give you the perspective that delivers you from that stuff. That you're finally able to break the camel's back, so to speak. I guess that's right. To be able to break stride. Because, you know, if you've been doing dysfunction junction your whole life, doing the circle, if you're in dysfunction junction your whole life, it takes something real fierce to break it. And that's all he's trying to do. He's trying to break the habit. Break the lifestyle that's kept you stuck in a way so that he can sanctify you and bring glory to himself in the process. So that's what he's trying to give you. He's trying to give you perspective. On Sunday, the Spirit gave us a warning concerning our tendency to fail one particular test because you know how it is, right? There's all these other little fence lines around that little dysfunction junction circle you're running around. And then you look over the fence. I wonder what the Joneses are up to. Because they're kind of evil. Matter of fact, they told me straight up they're atheists. 
but their house is bigger than mine. They have three cars. I only have two, and one of them is broken. Their kids are all proper. They go to private schools. My kids go to public schools and get bullied. Um, you know, they, got, they go on trips and cruises and all these. What the heck? They're fat, dumb, and happy. I'm over here going to church. And they mock me. You know, that test. That one. But mommy and daddy says they won't be proud of me if I don't measure up to something, if I don't become something in my life. Well, there's another whopper. What does God have to say about that? That's called bondage. That's called evil. All those things, in other words, that you kind of, you know, you're looking at as you're in dysfunction junction. All those little artifacts of your old life that keep you there. So this test is whether or not we are able to look at all the prosperity around us and stay the course. Up here on the board. Stay the course. America is racked with prosperity that most of its citizens cannot handle in terms of bringing glory to God. This includes immature believers. Do you have any idea? These guys are going to see it again when they go to India. Michael, for the first time. It's a home of the world. It's not even close. It's not even close. I think I've told you this story before. I built a nice house down in Berkeley um, years ago, Joey and I. And it was a nice house, even by American standards. It was a nice house. Not like outrageous or anything like that. And um, where was Azam from? Pakistan? So here's the guy from, so Pastor Zam, Scott has, invites him over. I have a jacuzzi in the back at the time. This is when I was still in industry, you know. So I had a jacuzzi. He goes, he, all he kept saying is, you are so blessed. You are so. He said, this house is as big as the president. Did he say that? Something like that. Or the governor or something like that. Some huge, I want to say he said the president, but I could be wrong. Or the governor or something like that of his land. I didn't think anything of it at the time. Spoiled brat, basically. I'm sure I complained when the, the pH balance was out on my jacuzzi. Right? No, I'm serious. What the hell is wrong with us? It's unbelievable. It's a whole other world out there. And we think this is our level set. It's grotesque. It's truly grotesque. When you go out and come back, you say, this is grotesque. America is racked with prosperity that... Most of its citizens cannot handle in terms of bringing glory to God. This includes immature believers. The temptation for believers is to become envious of others' prosperity, even if they are evil. Think about that. Even if they're evil. I don't like the fact that someone else has this thing. And it doesn't have to be money. It could be a husband with kids or a wife with kids. You could be jealous of a situation. You know what? I'm going to sacrifice my integrity to my true husband. I'm going to get married to an unbeliever so that I can have that thing that my neighbor has. I'm going to sacrifice all integrity because I want what an unbeliever has. I'm going to be jealous about their relationships. I'm going to pop out a few kids even though it's against my will because my neighbor has two and a half. You know what I'm saying, right? The averages. 
because my neighbor has a couple, my aunt and uncle have a couple, my cousins have a couple. It's about my time to pop a few out. Do you, you get what I'm getting at, people? So it's not about money. It's relationships. It's any part of life that has been highly esteemed by the world. And we're all suckers for it. Nothing wrong with some of those blessings. If God wants to bless you out in any one of those areas I just said, that's cool, that's fine. As long as it's God's timing, right? That's cool. That's not the point I'm making. I'm talking about envy entering in. Messing with the timing of God. That's not staying the course. That's doing what you did for so many years before. Living in dysfunction junction. Being led around by the nose by the world. Because it's still their standards that you abide in. Oh, you might come to class and be convicted, but you go right back home and it's their standards that rule the day for you. That's what I'm talking about. He's trying to deliver you from that. He's trying to get you out of that thing. America is racked with prosperity that most of its citizens cannot handle in terms of bringing glory to God. This includes immature believers. The temptation for believers is to become envious of others' prosperity, even if they are evil. Let's grab the highlight reel of Psalm 73. I can't believe I'm almost out of time. Go to Psalm 73, verse 2. Psalm 73, verse 2. Psalm 73, verse 2. And there's a reason why this, a passage like this, not, certainly not the only one, a passage like this is included in the Word of God. It's for your edification. It's for your education. It's so that you can learn that you're not alone. That sanctification takes time. Look at this writer. Psalm 73, verse 2. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Yeah, I can't. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I look around, I'm like, oh man, that'd be really nice to have that little thing or that situation or whatever it is that I'm a little envious of. Even I know that, I know pretty sure that they're not even believers or anything, that they're wicked people, that they've even gotten these things wrong ways. How about verse 6? Therefore, therefore, pride is their necklace. These people aren't um, hiding out and going, aw, shucks. No, they're bold about their prosperity. Their pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Yeah, they look down at you. They speak of oppression. Oh, if you need that, little man, little woman. I guess if you need Jesus. I don't. How about verse 21? How about verse 21? When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. How about verse 26? 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. 
that I may tell of all your works. Again, up here on the board, just for perspective's sake, America is racked with prosperity that most of its citizens cannot handle in terms of bringing glory to God. That includes immature believers. The temptation for believers is to become envious of others' prosperity, even if they are evil. Excuse me, that's what we just read in Psalm 73. So the worst thing you can do is complicate things even more by not just failing the mental attitude test where you become jealous, but taking it one step further and trying to, you know, right an evil situation. Well, they shouldn't be prosperous because they're evil. Okay, well, we have Holy Scripture that warns against this. Go to Romans 12, 19. I think we saw this on Tuesday as well. Romans 12, 19. In other words, don't get involved in things that are not your business. Your job is to, as um, it says in the New Testament, lead a quiet life. Keep your own hands busy. Remember, uh, what is it called? Um, not complacency, is the devil's workshop. Idleness, thank you. Idleness is the devil's workshop. How come so many of you know that? <laughs> Leo, why were you the first one to say it? <laughs> Have you been working? <laughs> Leo's like, I don't know. I think I've been through that one. <laughs> hey, join the club, right? Romans twelve nineteen. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Oh, darn it. That's right. Because here's the other thing that revenge does. You ready? Imagine this. So you're doing the circle of dysfunction junction, right? Does it take more or less time to jump the fence and go take vengeance on somebody than it is to take off? In other words, if you spend your time over there making sure that you're doing your rounds, you know, God's work, taking vengeance on all your neighbors, you're stuck there, aren't you? That's the whole idea. You get the visual? He doesn't want you stuck there. He says, leave that up to me. You go this way. You leave those people up to me. You're going to go this way. Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. In other words, if that evil neighbor comes over the fence and says, Hey, man, can I have a Bud Light too? Yeah, sure, why not? Bad, bad example, maybe. I don't know. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This came up on Tuesday. I'm up here on the board. I'm going to go quickly because I'm out of time. I can't believe it. Regarding Romans 12, 19 and 21, in doing so includes living out life by faith in his love, which even includes feeding your enemies. This allows God to act on your behalf as he deems necessary. In other words, don't you get stuck over there. God's big enough to handle his own battles. Don't you get stuck back in dysfunction junction because you're trying to do God's work by righting wrongs. Leave that up to God. You come with me, he's saying. Get this straight. You're already too preoccupied with all those people. That's why you're stuck there. Leave all that behind. Come with me. Vengeance belongs to him alone, and he has our backs when we truly obey his voice. So even, I guess, if, you know, if they're throwing stones at you, what are you going to do? They rip the shirt off your back or their, their, your coat? He says, take, give them your shirt too then. But just come my way. Just don't get entangled because that's what Satan wants. 
Because when you're entangled, again, you have to stay there to fight that battle that's not yours. Exodus 23, 22. But, I think I'll leave with this. Yeah. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So the last thing we need to do is muddy our already challenging lifestyles with vengeance. He's trying to unstuck us. I know that's not a word. He's trying to get us unstuck from the vestiges of the life that he saved us from. That's what sanctification is. He's trying to get us out of that thing, out of that mode, that lifestyle, into something that brings glory to him. And if you spend all your time doing things like taking vengeance and looking over the, and being jealous and everything else and wanting what everybody else wants, good, bad, or evil, doesn't matter, you're stuck. He wants to get you out of there. And the key, as it says in Exodus 23, 22, if you truly obey, then he delivers you. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful time of fellowship this evening. Thank you for truth that always undoubtedly and inevitably sets us free. Father, thank you for your patience with us as we continue to learn and be sanctified. We know this takes time. Father, we ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world. Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.